1: Welcome in to the Hoist the Colors podcast recapping an East Carolina 31-28 win over the Charleston Southern Buccaneers just like we all predicted a tight contest that comes down to the wire ECU just pulls it out I mean we all had this going as that type of game right absolutely not man what a what a game in a not so good way for East Carolina although they found a way to win we'll get into a lot of that. In this podcast, I am Steven Igo, the host of the Hoist of Colors pod- podcast, the publisher of hoistacolors.net. dot net. got a lot of thoughts coming out of this game, and I posted a lot of those in written form for our subscribers. I'll expand upon some of those here. This will be a a rather brief podcast overall. I'm not taking questions because, I, to be honest, guys, I know what the questions are going to be. It's going to be about the offense, the quarterback, you know, obviously there'll be probably some that would ask about the defense what caused issues on, the, on that side of the ball and we'll address all that I'll talk about some of my unknowns honestly and I, I don't have a lot of the answers for such questions right now so I'm just going to give my take I'm going to pose some questions as well throughout this podcast in terms of what's going on what the problems are Um, and so you know we, we've we've had the same questions for basically a year and a half now if not longer about the Offensive struggles because it's been such an inconsistent uh, production from the offense over the course of that time with really the same the same personnel, the same people, and we've yet to see this offense really take off to another level. And, you know, yeah, it was a great second quarter. Uh, to be honest, it was a piss-poor start by the entire team. You know, giving up a 98-yard drive to Charleston Southern in 2 minutes, 17 seconds uh, can't happen. You get on 14 nothing. credit to the guys for responding, 24 unanswered in the second quarter. You get the big pick six to start the second half, 31-14. Really, at that point, I think everybody thought the game was over, and it seems like ECU did as well. Charleston Southern did not, and the game turned in the third quarter, late in the third quarter, when Holt Nailis threw a pick. Against uh, Charleston Southern in the red zone on a, a drive, if they would have punched it in, that would have made it 38-14, to heading into the fourth quarter, and at that point, the game's over. Um, so, you know, a lot, man, a lot to clean up. Uh, I will say, first off, you know, the main thing is the main thing. They got the win. It was ugly as hell. Um, in some ways, some of the performance was borderline unacceptable. I mean, to get out-gained, I got the stats here in front of me, to get out gained by a middling FCS team, 536 to 388. They ran 100 plays to ECU's 59. And you look at it, Charleston Southern averaged 5.4 yards per play. ECU averaged 6.6 yards per play. So ECU, technically more efficient, but in terms of getting off the field, defensively was a struggle. Staying on the field offensively was a struggle. They sustained no drives. They could not run the football. Uh, They couldn't get any push outside of the Keaton Mitchell run. I mean, you finished with, uh, in the ground game, 150 net rushing yards, but 74 of that came on the Keaton Mitchell run. You take that away, and it was a pretty poor day on the ground against a pretty average defense at the FCS level. So uh, a lot to clean up, but I just want to start with this. Okay, EC won the football game, and that is an important thing, and that is the most important thing. Because I'll say this, how many – good football seasons in ECU football history have we seen an ugly win I'm gonna say quite a bit quite a bit you're not gonna go out there and win six seven eight games and win them all in convincing or satisfactory fashion you know a lot of this going forward and this is why I'm not going to dwell on this game but so much a lot of this game to me And there are a lot of flaws with ECU coming out of this game that need to be fixed. Don't get me wrong. And there are a lot of issues. But when ECU really played its best and turned it on in that second quarter and in the start of the third quarter defensively, they were the superior team like they should have been. It was obvious they weren't prepared for uh, Charleston Southern, at least that tempo offense to start with. So that falls on the coaches, players, everybody. It was just a, a, a very poor start. But they made adjustments. They started to play tighter coverage, quit giving up so much of the quick game. Uh, made the adjustment, started to turn it up a notch defensively. And when that happened, you rip off 24 and answered. I mean, Charleston Southern in that spurt did not really have a chance. ECU played pretty dominant football in all in all phases. And then you you know you opened a third quarter with a pick six. I think that kind of relaxed the team. You know, you go up 31-14. You're driving as an offense, really looking for the the uh, the death nail score I think everybody at that point thought the game was over a lot of fans had left 31-14 about to be 38-14 and then you throw the pick Charleston Southern gets new life and I just felt like ECU from that point on was too flat and honestly playing a little scared offensively and it ended up almost coming to bite them right in the tail and luckily time ran out and ECU was able to hold on for the win but the main thing is the main thing they got the win they got their second straight win And I say all this because how many ugly, three-point, narrow, nail-biting, last-second field goal, last-minute defensive stand wins does Skip Holtz have during his tenure, where he won back-to-back Conference USA Championships? How many shootout, piss-poor defensive play under Ruff McNeil, especially early in his tenure, where they would just have to win games, you know, 55-52 or something crazy like that, or... Just outscore teams, and it was ugly, but they got wins. And this was ugly. Yes, this was an inferior team. Yes, it should have been a three to four touchdown win. It wasn't, but it was a win. And if ECU lets this linger and they can't rebound from this for whatever reason, which I honestly don't think will be a problem for the team now, for the fans, there's another deal, but for the team, it could be a, a problem. Now, if they build on this win in terms of, hey, we, we obviously still have a long way to go as a football team. we got to correct a ton of issues. We have not arrived just because we got one good, good quarter win at Marshall. we got a lot to clean up. If they approach this week motivated and they go out and beat Tulane, who remembers that the Charleston Southern game at the end of the year, if they end up beating Tulane and let's say they get 6 win. who remembers that the Charleston Southern game was almost a colossal failure? Not many people. And then five, ten years from now, nobody's talking about that game. Now, if you would have lost that game, that's a game that lingers throughout the rest of ECU football history, like the North Carolina A&T game, like some of those other terrible losses in previous ECU history. Uh, But at the end of the day, the Pirates found a way to win. They avoided disaster. Yeah, maybe it was embarrassing to some ECU fans who expected a blowout win, expected a lot of backups to play, but it didn't happen. So... If you want to continue to, you know, bitch and moan about some of the issues, that's fine. You have that right as a fan. And we'll certainly talk about that throughout the week leading up to the Tulane game. But from a football standpoint, ECU won the game. They're 2-2. Two and two. If they can correct some of the mistakes, big if, and find a way to beat Tulane, I think a lot of people don't even really look back at this game. I think it's just kind of in the rearview mirror for good. And we don't have to sit there and stew all season, man. I can't believe they lost to Charleston Southern. Like in 2018, I felt like that team was pretty good in some areas, but they just even even if they beat North Carolina in that second game, all anybody looked back to was man, they lost to freaking North Carolina A&T to open the year, and and I don't think the team ever really recovered from that for the most part. At the end of the day, the Charleston Southern game was a win. ECU can completely move past this thing with a strong performance against Tulane, which is going to be a, a big challenge. Tulane's a very good football team, and the biggest issue with this game, if I'm ECU, is Tulane's going to come in desperate. They're 1-3, and, and if they lose this game, they're 1-4 and, and probably going to be realistically on the outside coming in, uh, outside looking in as far as making a bowl game. It's just tough to recover from a 1-4 start, as ECU fans know. And the Pirates are going to have to match their desperation because, really, if you look at this schedule, the one the Pirates have in front of them, this is a almost a must-win game unless they drastically improve throughout the season, given what's in, given what's ahead of them, uh, in, in order to reach six wins and make a bowl game. So, huge challenge Saturday. We'll we'll preview that a lot throughout this week. For now, we're focusing on Charleston Southern. Uh, two straight wins. At the end of the day, you know it's again it was ugly, but it is important for this program. To do something this Saturday, three wins in a row, for the first time in seven years. So, that that's a, that's a big deal. And I know people are pissed off about the game was not as as pretty or as much of a blowout. And there are some areas that are a major concern. But, again, you win three in a row, you find a way to win three in a row. And I think everybody's moving past this. All right, let's get into this game. Uh, there was... A lot of concerns in terms of you know we'll start with let's start with the defense because we're gonna talk about the offense ad nauseum um, just because it's such an issue but the defense now has allowed 540 plus yards in consecutive games and I think everybody that watched the Marshall game knows that that team has a pretty good offense and, and we saw them against Appalachian State I thought they moved the ball really well you look at the final stats I don't think it showed just how good that Marshall offense played at times in that game. App State did a good job of controlling the clock and uh, playing their style of football. But Marshall is a legitimate offense. Charleston Southern, on the other hand, really concerning that you give up 405 yards passing to uh, a Buccaneers team that really has not posted many big numbers in the past. I mean, they do run that up-tempo air raid style, and and the coaching staff said that they were not prepared, at least for the tempo that Charleston Southern showed to start the game. Sounds like they came out even with a faster tempo than than what they had shown on film. And so you give them a pass for the first series or so, but after that, I mean, you you have to just be better. You can't give up 405 yards passing. you can't give up 536 yards, and you can't allow them to convert 8 of 20 on third down, you can't make some of the dumb penalties ECU made on both sides of the ball, but a lot of those were made by defensive players at times, on special teams, on defense. Uh, Trent Holler was an offensive player who had one. Just a lot of critical, hideous penalties, quite honestly. In, in a game where, really, if you're playing Charleston Southern in your ECU, and, yeah, the Buccaneers were talking a lot of crap. You know, you could tell that from the broadcast, from watching in the stadium. They were trying to get in ECU's head, and it worked. It worked, and that's that's disappointing. And for ECU, you have to be a much more mature team. You can't let Charleston Southern come into your home stadium and get in your head, and cause a bunch of unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. Uh, the the one on the kickoff when they recovered the onside kick, Warren Saber, I love the guy. You know, great personality, but he's got to have a cooler head there. And ECU cannot afford a penalty in that situation. Field position is everything in that situation and to have a penalty after recovering the onside kick and the game is still hanging in the balance they have three timeouts left that to, to go backwards 15 yards and potentially cost your team is is a critical error thankfully Keaton Mitchell busted off a big run and the pirates were able to, to pin them deep afterwards but you know if you go three runs and punt there and they get the ball at the 30 instead of the 3 yard line you know we could be talking about a Charleston Southern win right now so those are mistakes that winning programs do not make, and ECU extremely fortunate to come out of that with a uh, with a win. There were other penalties, post-snap, or post-play penalties that almost bit, or that did bite ECU in this game. It just didn't cost them a loss. I mean, you look at the stat sheet. See if I can find the penalty numbers here. Yeah, nine penalties for 118 yards versus five for 35 for Charleston Southern. Nine for 118. That is a those are egregious numbers. They have to be fixed, and uh, you could tell Mike Houston was not happy after the game. And honestly, I expect more discipline, a lot more discipline uh, from a Mike Houston coach team than what we saw. I mean, that just that has not jived with what we've seen the past two-plus years in terms of penalties. Yeah, ECU plays an aggressive style, but you can't let that linger uh, post-play uh, post after the whistle blows. So uh, you know, defensively again, the good thing I guess is that you likely won't see this type of offense in terms of. I mean, they threw the ball. Let's see here, Chambers threw the ball sixty-one times, and that doesn't even count the amount of scrambles, which he had twenty-two carries. I would probably say, I mean, geez, at least fifteen to maybe eighteen of those were were drop back passes. So you're talking about a team that dropped back nearly 80 times out of 100 plays. And that's something ECU is probably not going to see again the rest of the year. Now, the the concern here is Tulane, etc. They're going to see that ECU probably, you know, a little bit of a, a struggle in terms of the quick game. You know, Tulane was a team that stretched ECU horizontally a lot last year with the quick passing game. Would not be surprised if they try to emulate that again on Saturday because that was a problem for ECU against Charleston Southern and once ECU adjusted to that to stopping that then Charleston Southern started to attack the middle of the field because ECU had to respect the horizontal game so the Pirates had to find a way to combat that because if you're giving up 405 yards to Charleston Southern and Jack Chambers and the guy played a hell of a game I'll be the first to say I don't think anybody thought that uh he was capable of that but he played a hell of a game. But Michael Pratt is is a better quarterback than Jack Chambers. Whoever UCF is going to throw out there, not going to be Dylan Gabriel, but whoever they're going to throw out there is going to have just as much talent, more or probably more than Jack Chambers. Houston has Clayton Toon. They've got a uh, efficient offense as well. Uh, Memphis, dangerous offense, potent offense. So the Pirates have got to fix things defensively. I know we're talking about a lot of offensive problems. Uh, but the defense the last few weeks has just given up too many too many yards, too many points. Now, the defense did create a a huge play in the second half. We have to credit Jaquan McMillan, second week in a row, coming up with just a monster play. The pick six at the time looked like it put the game on ice, kind of gave ECU a ton of breathing room. But also, at the end of the day, was the only score for East Carolina in the second half of football. So a second half shutout by the offense, which is – Uh, unacceptable against Charleston Southern and luckily Jaquan McMillan's pick ended up holding up to give ECU the the 31-28 win. I like the pass rush you know there was a ton of blitzing on Chambers early in the game they did not do a good job of containing Chambers I thought as the game went on they did a much better job keeping their rush lanes keeping them in the pocket chasing them down uh, Blake Carroll continues to dial it up from everywhere. You know, you live by the Blitz. You, you die by the Blitz at times. They do, do give up some chunk plays. When a, a guy like Chambers escapes the pocket against the Blitz and you get man coverage downfield, that can create some issues. So you um, got to continue to, you know, to mix the mix things up defensively, stay home. You know, Pratt at two against Tulane, he's a mobile quarterback, and, and, and you know, I assume ECU once again will come after him. I mean, they come after everybody. So, uh you gotta continue to stay disciplined in those situations if you're the, the defensive guys coming on the blitz because ECU was I think they were credited with five sacks. They probably had seven or eight realistically, probably could have had about ten if uh if they would have gotten chambers on the ground or kept their rush lanes better. So uh good and bad I thought with the blitz, uh definitely caused some issues quarters two for th- two through three before Charleston Southern really started to kind of march down the field again in the fourth quarter. Um have not made it to the fourth quarter yet on my rewatch, so I'm still looking to see what what exactly they did offensively to uh, to give them a chance to move the ball more efficiently in the fourth quarter on Saturday. All right, let's talk about the offense. Um, you know, the lack of abilities to sustain drives in this football game is a big concern. You know, Charleston Southern playing a lot of cover three and playing. You know, they did play, they shared a lot of guys in the box, and, and they definitely, you know, when you play cover three, got to be able to stop the run to have a chance to really play it effectively. And for the most part, Charleston Southern did that. And Keaton Mitchell had the 74-yard touchdown sprint, which was a huge play in the game and a momentum swing. But outside of that, it just wasn't a whole lot there in the running game. Rajay Harris continues to not be able to qu- – really had that breakout game that he had so many times last year. He held the 2.9 yards per carry on eight attempts for 23 yards. Did catch three passes, goes for uh, 19 yards. So they have not been able to get Rajay going. That's something I want to ask the coaching staff about this week. Uh, it's been good to see Keaton get loose a few times, but the you know the consistent five to six-yard carries or you know getting four to five yards per carry from Rajay It's something that I thought this offense would be able to do this year, and they just have not been able to do it. And that's been a concern. Um, Because you can't rely on the home run ball every single game. Keaton Mitchell is not going to score on a 70-yard touchdown every game, even though he's done it three out of four contests. Eventually, like Tulane, I mean, they're going to turn on the tape and they're going to say the one thing we can't have happen defensively is Keaton Mitchell beat us. Uh, on a big play and and once that's wiped out what do you do offensively you also had the 60 yard touchdown to CJ Johnson and you know credit for to CJ for making a great play but if that's an American Athletic Conference DB he's not breaking that tackle and he's not going to go untouched after that to the end zone somebody's going to run him down so that's a play that works against Charleston Southern it's good to see but ECU has to be able to sustain more drives I mean you take out those two explosive plays and I know explosive plays are a big part of every offense but you take out those two explosive plays. And ECU just was not able to sustain drives. And when they did, they would turn the ball over or have a blunder once they pass midfield. And that just continues to be a theme. You know, the the lack of ability to pick up first down, especially in third down. The third down offense has now been a problem for uh basically a year and a half now. It was it was not good. It was it was pretty good in twenty nineteen subpar last year, and it's gotten even worse to start. 2021, And a lot of that is due to uh, putting themselves in third and long situations. And that comes back to executing on first and second down or putting yourself in a better position in terms of a play caller for your offensive coordinator, Donnie Kirkpatrick, to get yourself in the second and third and medium or third and short rather than third and seven plus when everybody in the world knows you're throwing the football. And at that point, ECU does not have the offensive personnel, in my opinion, to be a drop back passing team on third and long and have success consistently. So. Uh, that's the root of the problem. Uh, Holton seventeen of twenty six, two hundred thirty eight yards, one touchdown passing, two interceptions. I went back and watched the tape today. So the first interception, he's just you know C.J. Johnson was open for about a second or two, and I get it. It's tempting to want to fit the ball in there to C.J. get a touchdown, get C.J. on the board, have a big game, but as a fourth-year quarterback third-year starter Holton has got to take the check down there he had Raja Harris coming out of the backfield wide open against zone that Charleston Southern like they were in cover three they were giving you the underneath throw and it was second and five you're up 31 to 14 that's a play that Ehlers even if Johnson comes back to the ball and makes the catch and it's a touchdown that's a play that Ehlers has to take the safe throw he can't force that there and it it come it came back to really bite ECU um I think Charleston Southern went on to score a touchdown on that drive or shortly after. So instead of making it 38 to 14, it's 31 to 14 and you swift, mo- shift momentum in the game. So these, so that one I thought was on holding and that's something he's got to get better at. Uh, the, the second interception to me watching the film, I don't know exactly how far Audie was supposed to run the route before he broke outside. Either way, I thought it was more of a breakdown on everybody's part. The left tackle got beat. Holton had a guy in his face on a, you know, prototypical three-step drop and throw. So he's throwing off his back foot. He's trying to throw outside the hash. Audie kind of doesn't run the most crisp route in the world. And when Holton threw the football, you look at the all-22, the DB was five yards off Audie. So you had a five-yard cushion. And Audi was just coming out of his break. So, Holton was throwing the ball as Audi was coming out of his break. Maybe you want to get it there a step quicker. But, again, the velocity on the throw wasn't there because Holton had a guy in his face. So, it it looks like a poor throw. It probably is a poor throw in a 31-21 game on third and long. Again, third and long. You're in third and ten. Not the most advantageous situation. Um, And it's picked off. And in a 31-21 game with, what, ten minutes or so? That's back-to-back possessions with the pick from your veteran quarterback. Your offense can't score and put Charleston Southern away. It, it was just disappointing to watch the offense. Again, after the way they played against Marshall in the fourth quarter and after the way they played in the second quarter, it's frustrating, I'm sure, for fans and for the coaches and players to see that you know it's not like the offense has never had success or doesn't have the playmakers. I mean, at this point, you have a veteran quarterback, third year in the system. We've talked about this a lot, but uh, the excuses for the offense now you don't really have any. I mean, you, you have the same personnel. You've had you've got a veteran offensive line. Yeah, you've had a few injuries at offensive tackle, which is not ideal. But you got a pretty veteran offensive line for ECU standards. A uh, uh, you know, I, I think at worst an average offensive line by American standards, and you know maybe even. I don't, I don't know, but I think it's a good enough line if ECU plays to its strengths, can can be productive offensively. We've seen them be productive offensively with this line at times, so I, I don't think that that's the biggest root of the issue. Pro Football Focus actually graded out the offensive line really well on Saturday, and yeah, there were a few instances where they broke down and against a four-man rush and, and gave up some pressure, like on the pick, but I thought overall the pocket was there more times than not. Um And so, going back to to what I was saying, though, veteran quarterback, third year of the offensive coordinator in his system, uh, veteran offensive line, two all-conference caliber receivers in terms of at least pass production in Tyler Sneed in the slot, CJ Johnson. Uh, You got Audio Omotosha, who's a a three-year graduate transfer from UCLA. He's not in his first year in in the offense anymore. You've got a deep threat, a burner in Josiah Hatfield. We've seen him take the top off the defense. You've got a couple athletes at tight end, Shane Calhoun, who just had it, by the way, a 100-yard performance, and then he was only targeted one time on Saturday. Uh, you've got a former four-star recruit in Ryan Jones. Yeah, he's still learning the offense, but there has to be some way to get him more involved. So you, you have enough pieces. you got two really good running backs, Keaton Mitchell Rajay Harris. So you got plenty of guys. It's just this offense should be better, and... I can't put my finger on what it is. And it's been three years now of kind of inconsistent play, and that's a concern. And I know that it's it's driving the coaches crazy. I know it's driving the quarterback crazy, the players crazy. Um, that just consistent level of play, the Pirates have not been able to find it on offense. And and is it is it play calling? Is it the quarterback? Is it the pieces around the quarterback? uh is it philosophy I I don't know I honestly don't know I would love to be able to put my finger on it guys you know the reality is it's probably somewhere in the middle of all that it's probably a little bit of all that that's usually what the issue is um but this is three years now and we continue to say yes it's a long season and there's still eight games left and again if they go against Tulane and play well nobody's talking about the offense of struggles against Charleston Southern anymore but at the end of the day, you shouldn't be struggling against Charleston Southern so much. You, you should not have a goose egg offensively against Charleston Southern on your home field when you have a chance to put them away. So uh, that's just, that, that's the biggest frustration right now, I think, for Pirate Nation is the inconsistency of the offense. And the defense has its flaws too. I think most people, though, can watch the defense and say they have an identity. The defense under Blake Harrell... They're going to be aggressive as hell. They're going to go after the quarterback. Their goal is to sack the quarterback, get pressure, get him off a spot, create turnovers, create chaos. Yeah, they're going to mess up. They're going to give up some big plays, but at least the defense has an identity. And for the last two weeks, they've given up a lot of yards and some points, but they've made the play when it counted. You know, they didn't bust in the final, in the final drive and give up a cheap touchdown to lose the game. They got the pick against Marshall after the comeback to seal that win. Um, they got the pick six, so they created play a play, a scoring play in the second half when the offense didn't. So, I mean, I think the defense has a clear philosophy, and it's a younger group overall compared to the offense. So I think people can live with the defensive struggles right now. It's the offense that really is just kind of frustrating to watch in terms of why can't that group take the next step, especially when they show flashes, why can't their consistency be there? And... um you know, I know that one of the reasons I didn't take questions is because everybody's going to ask about Donnie Kirkpatrick. You know, after every average to below average offensive performance, people want to ask about when is the offensive coordinator have change happening, when is the quarterback change happening. Uh, I get it. That's what football fans do. I continue to say I don't see Coach Houston being the one ever to make a change midseason, especially when you're 2-2, two and two, coming off two straight wins. Uh no quarterback change, no offensive coordinator change, no coaching change is gonna happen. Uh for a program that is coming off six straight losing seasons. So people need to calm down with the, the fire Donnie stuff, the bench Holton stuff. We just talked about it last week. I asked Coach Houston about Holton Ayers. Was there any thought to put Mason Garcia in the game? They said Holton Ayers gives him the best chance to win. That's not gonna change overnight. And so uh he bounced back against Marshall didn't play that well against Charleston Southern and so here we are kind of in the same conversation we were in a couple of games ago um wondering why the consistency isn't there and I wish I could put my finger on it I don't know I don't even know if the coaching staff right now can put their finger on it yeah which is what is the most frustrating thing because they've had 26 games now to fix it and they have not been able to sustain the success they've been searching for offensively so uh, that's a that's a concern. The good news is, when you're inconsistent, usually you follow up a bad performance with a good performance. So maybe that's a good thing heading into the Tulane game uh, for the Pirates uh, in a, 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 bright, a bright spot. I do think, and I, I touched on this on Twitter, East Carolina does not do good when they're favored. And East Carolina, this team in particular, has not had really any success. This roster has not had any success at the college level. So when they had the win, the comeback win against Marshall, yeah, the coaches were drilling all week. Got to respect your opponent. Can't take these guys lightly. Got to be prepared. I these guys were on social media. I don't care what the, what they tell you. They're on social media. They're on Twitter. They're on Instagram. They're seeing all the love, they're feeling good about themselves, and it was a great comeback. They should have felt good about themselves for about 24 hours, and then they should have put it behind them, but it's, it's human nature when you're not used to having success, and when you're not used to winning that type of game, it can linger, and you can take your opponent for granted when you're a 28-point favorite, and I honestly think that's what happened. They might not admit it, but I think it played a big role in Saturday's game. And I think Charleston Southern had a good enough athlete at quarterback and Jack Chambers that they, that he was so good, honestly, that it if you're facing an FCS team without that threat at quarterback, it's not much of a problem, but he was so good on Saturday that he almost led that team to a massive upset. In many ways, he was so good that he almost took advantage of ECU, I thought, really not being up for the game, especially in, in the start and by the end, they had gotten punched in the jaw so quickly I don't think they could ever recover once they let off the gas after that big comeback so um, that's kind of I do think the good the silver lining I won't say the good thing but the silver lining of of narrowly beating a team you're supposed to crush is you're not going to feel great about yourself this week you're going to get a team that's focused that's locked in on prep if they would have gone out and beat Charleston Southern 59-0, would have continued to hear maybe how good they were, that sort of stuff, then maybe you're not as locked in. Maybe you don't watch that extra hour of film uh, on on Sunday night to really try and get an edge on Tulane that could make the difference in the game. Right, those are little things that winning teams have to do, win or loss, but right now ECU is at the stage as a program where maybe you need that extra motivation to play your best uh, or to really lock in because this is a team that is still learning how to win and people can say oh, how can you think you're so great after one win well they haven't had any wins like that so it's 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 easy to think you're good or to think you're great after one win like that one historic comeback that everybody's talking about on twitter everybody's saying great job great heart great effort all that stuff and you just rest on your laurels a little bit because you're not used to it so Maybe it's a good thing, really, that they got punched in the jaw, like Mike Houston said, and and, and can learn from it. And we'll we'll know Saturday at three thirty, based on how they come out. And of course, Saturday around six thirty, seven o'clock, we'll know we'll know really well what type of impact it had. We'll know if if the issues we saw against Charleston Southern are just going to be there all year, and they're not fixable, and ECU is not a good football team, or if the Pirates underperform in several areas and can adjust and be better. As a result of that performance, and play better against Tulane. So, we'll know a lot more after this Tulane game, in my opinion, than we do right now. I, I think that it is natural for fans to overreact because they're fans. You know, uh, that, that's what happens. You know, I overreact when I watch the Denver Broncos every week. I think they're the greatest team in the world right now. If They're 3 and 0, they're going to beat the Chiefs and Raiders and take the division. And when they lose to the Ravens next week, I think they'll suck and won't make the playoffs. So, I mean, like, I get it as a fan you have to be reactionary from game to game you have to go with the highs and lows because that's the greatest part about being a fan but I think at the end of the day maybe this Charleston Southern game won't be that big of a deal depending on how the season plays out I think this two lane game is the most important game on the schedule heading into the year I felt that way because I thought ECU would go two and two in conference play or non conference play to set up this conference opener is a huge game, and I still feel that way, regardless of how it went. Regardless of how ECU got to two and two. You know, I heard Billy Weaver make this point on the Power Radio. Would you rather have ECU lost to Marshall in heartbreaking fashion and then beaten Charleston Southern fifty nine to zero and be one and three and feeling good going to this game versus two and two? Hell no. You take two and two all day uh so does that erase the the flaws of the team or some of the things they need to work on no but at the end of the day you are two and two and that's not a bad spot to be in so this upcoming game is a game that can can change your season much like the marshall comeback did the charleston southern game it's the charleston southern game you found a way to win You're two and two it was ugly as hell but you you did what you needed to do you did what you needed to do to get the win It was almost catastrophic, but it didn't happen. So, to me, ECU as a team, I think, will move past this Charleston Southern game faster than any game it has played in the Mike Houston era. I think you move past that game as quick as possible. Yeah, you clean up the mistakes, but I think you learn from that game so much that it's in the rearview mirror uh, about five hours, if not sooner, after that that game ended last night. I don't even think this needs a 24-hour rule. I think you're locked in. The next morning at 6 a.m. You know, I know the coaching staff was locked in right after the game because they were pissed, and they they know that the performance was was unacceptable in some areas. So, I think the players, the guys who who are you know really bought into the culture, the guys who really play, are going to be extremely motivated coming out of this game. The guys who get the big picture, the Holton nailers you know, punter John Young, yeah, he's a punter. He even got it after the game. He said it was a reality check, a wake up call. So. I really think ECU will respond after this game, and maybe it ends up being a silver liner. We'll find out Saturday at 3.30 either way. Uh, but I'm not going to spend a ton of time this week freaking out about the Charleston Southern game. I'm just letting you all know now. I mean, I'll answer you guys' questions. I'll talk about the offensive struggles, the inconsistency, as we've talked about for the past two years. But I, I'm honestly not that overly concerned about what we saw yeah there are flaws yeah there are parts that are concerning but I just think it was kind of a perfect storm of things and Charleston Southern played a hell of a game at the end of the day Jack Chambers looked like freaking Russell Wilson I don't know where that was from but that team should be much better than they are and uh, ECU's got things to clean up but I think they will respond well after uh, after finding a way to eat that one out so that's just my opinion maybe they go out and lose to Tulane 55 to 3 and we find out ecu is just a bad football team maybe that happens and maybe the fourth quarter against marshall's a fluke but i i don't think so i think this is going to be a war on saturday i think two lanes going to come in one and three desperate for a win i think ecu is going to be extremely motivated and i think it's going to be a hell of a game i think it's going to be a game that will the winner of this football game will go on to make a bowl game the loser it's going to be tough it's going to be a struggle you could you could see your season end Saturday in terms of making a bowl game given the schedule ahead for both teams and um, so I think it's going to be a war I do want to say before we finish up this podcast kudos to Pirate Nation I thought after the 0-2 start and the loss to South Carolina there would be maybe 27-28,000 people in the stands for the Charleston Southern game no there were nearly 40,000 strong and I know the kickoff time helped. Parents weekend uh, and, and the band day, whatever that is, helped as well with the number. But the fans who were there were engaged. They were loud. I was impressed, man. It was like old pirate football. It was it was the good old days. If you're getting 40,000 people for an FCS school, people are there to see ECU. They don't give a hell who the Pirates are playing. And, and when you're there to see ECU, those are the fans that are into the game and uh fire it up for the pirates so we need that type of crowd again uh this coming weekend this is a huge game for the program yeah you might be frustrated with the offense whatever you might want to fire whoever might want to bench whoever but show up to support the pirates it's a crucial game If the pirates can beat Tulane uh it really could ignite them to a huge season and it it, you know so Tulane opened as a four-point favorite today Vegas sees this as a pretty tight game Yeah, Lane on paper, probably the better team right now, given the schedule they've played and how they've played. But uh, East Carolina is very capable of going out and winning this football game if they fix their issues um, in certain areas. So I expect a dogfight Saturday. Hopefully uh, we can have another crowd close to 40,000 or around that mark. Homecoming, 3.30 kickoff, should be great weather. Uh, Hopefully the Hurricanes stay away this week so I don't have to talk about the indoor practice facility anymore. It's a whole nother topic. We can have a whole another podcast about that. But uh, yeah, so excited for Saturday. Honestly, ready to move past this game already. I know that there are a lot of people still not happy with it, whatever. Uh, gave just my thoughts on it over the past 38, 39 minutes or so. I'm sure some of you guys disagree with some of I, with some of what I said. That's fine. Everybody has a right to your opinion. And that's what makes it great. Uh, So I appreciate everybody, as always, for tuning in to the podcast. Again, sign up on hoistacolors.net. We always have a VIP special going on. We cover recruiting. Uh, We've got uh, pro football-focused grades on top player performances, all the players who played in the game, how they graded out. We've got snap counts, what players played, how many plays, all that sort of stuff, recruit reactions to big wins, recruiting stories after visits, all that sort of stuff for our VIP members, injury updates, everything uh, on the Hoist the Colors message board. So, and a lot of fun discussion. All right, that'll wrap it up for this edition of the Hoist the Colors podcast. We'd like to thank you guys again for tuning in. We'll be back later this week for an in-depth preview of the Tulane Green Wave heading to the conference opener on Saturday. Appreciate you guys listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast.